But let's pray, and I would ask you to do this. If you don't mind, I'm not like hyper-religious about, you know, closing the eyes thing. But in this particular situation, I'm going to ask you a question when I finish praying. So I'd like you to actually have your eyes closed. So, Father, we give this time to you. It is yours. This message is yours. Uh, we are yours. I am yours. And I pray that you would use me as an instrument to articulate your heart to your people. And I pray that those who know you will be challenged and encouraged. Those who don't know you will be radically transformed to get to know you. In Jesus' name. So with your eyes still closed, I have a question for you. So I'm going to ask you, how do you currently feel about yourself? So we're kind of going from zero to 100 here. There's not going to be a lot of, you know, nice little fuzzy things in between to getting going. How do you feel about yourself in your heart of hearts today? And I want you to put a number on that. And I'm going to ask you to do the following. I'm going to count from 1 to 10. And when I get to your number, I want you to look at me. Are you a 1? A 2? A 3? A 4? A 5? A 6? A 7? An 8? A 9? Or a 10? So, as you think about that number of where you are in your life, this message is all going to be about challenging that number and where you are. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about confidence this morning. And, you know, when you think about it, I want you to relate to this. If you're a believer, I hope that there's at least been one example in your life where you knew you were spot on. Whether you were praying for somebody to be healed or giving money to somebody for a ministry or a new job you're going to take or a move you had or who you got married to, whatever it is, or where you went to school, doesn't matter. But that at some point in your life, you had a decision you had to make, and you know what? You'd really sewed into that, and you had confidence. I know this is the right thing to do. Okay? Let's relate that a little bit to the human element, right? If you're going to school, right? I think we can all probably hopefully remember you know, you're in school, you know that test you really studied hard for, and you walked in the classroom that morning, you felt pretty confident. Or if you're an athlete, you know, you're a baseball player and you're a batter, you know, and there's a pitcher on the mound that you've had an incredible hit rate against, right? You, you, you sort of got their number. So you step in that batter's box with confidence. You know you're going to hit the ball or a free throw, whatever it is. Or maybe it's a part of your business. It's a new decision you have to make. It's a new product you're going to launch or something like that. But you've done this before. You have great confidence in what you're doing. That sm still small voice, if you would, deep inside you, when you have confidence of knowing that what you're doing is the right thing, is what I want you to think about. So bring up the first slide, please. So we're going to talk about confidence in Christ. And what does that really look like? And what does it mean? Now, I personally believe the scriptures can cut to the heart for you much better than any illustration I can use. I can tell you a lot of great stories about Wall Street. I can tell you a lot of, you know, funny things. Have you laugh? Have you cry? If I did an altar call, have a lot of people come forward. That's not the goal, okay? The goal here is for the word of God to pierce through and for something hopefully lodges in you that you remember, frankly, tonight tomorrow, next week, next month. That's the goal. So I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. It's all going to be on the screen because, frankly, your thumbs aren't as fast as I can talk. So, you know, but, you know, feel free to keep up if you'd like. 
everything I'm going to tell you is from the Lord. Everything I've accomplished, anything I've accomplished is really through truly. This is not out of just trying to be humble and all, you know, whatever. It is through the grace of Jesus Christ. Full stop. This is the reason why this message is taking place. I felt like the Lord had said to share this. So, the next question is, who do you believe you are? So, when we went through the numbers, and you had that number deep in your heart, who do you believe you are? Next question is, wait a minute, who does God say you are? Are they the same? So, let's go to Hebrews 10.35. Scripture says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. In the Greek, that word throw away is not just like kind of to passively slough it off. It's actively not to pay attention to it. Don't throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. Well, what does that mean? Now, the, the definition here is my definition, not anybody else's. But I believe it's a state of shalom peace based on the, poten- the positional authority or inheritance that we have in and with Jesus Christ that impacts the way you live. What is shalom? In the Hebrew, you see the definition here, completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, and harmony. That's shalom. Active believing, though, not just in your head, but if you really believe this, it affects your entire being. So, confidence, therefore, in the scripture really is defined as, it's it's what you believe, to truly believe, what you hope in, what you have faith in. The Greek word, actually, it's the same derivative root word that comes from faith to faith, trust, belief, reliance. Same word, confidence, patho, out of the Greek. So, let's look at this. There are 103 occurrences in the scriptures of this word confidence and its root word. We're not going to read all 103, but we're going to read a few, okay? 2 Corinthians 3, 4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. 5, 6, therefore being always of good courage or confidence in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. For I am confident of this very thing, he that has begun a good work in you will perform it, will perfect it till the day of Jesus Christ. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, confidence, things not seen who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that you and your faith you have hope or confidence, and that hope's in God. 1 John 2, 28, Now little children abide in, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him and in shame at his coming. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And by this, love is perfected, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. And this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. All right, Mark, that's great for the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? Genesis 4, 7. When God's conversation with Cain, he said, if you do well, will you not look up with confidence? That Hebrew word means confidence. 2 Corinthians 18, 19, just one story, many of them in the Old Testament, where Rabshakeh said to them, say now to Hezekiah, king of Judah then, thus says the great king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? In 2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8, it's the same story. It's a be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. 
With him is only an arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied or had confidence on the words of the Hezekiah, king of Judah. Isaiah 30, 15, your strength will be in quietness and confidence. So, confidence in what? Hebrews 10, 14 to 19, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying this, this is the covenant that I will make with them, After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, you are the righteousness of God. Do you believe that? Jesus completed the work for us. There's nothing we can add to it. An act of embracing and understanding and growing confessing of God's grace can result in multiplying, though, its impact in your life. 2 Peter 1, 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in and through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, the next question is receiving his righteousness. Romans 5, 17, For if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. The Greek word there for reign is basilio, which is the word basilica comes from. That's a kingly throne. You are to reign in life because of your positional authority and the righteousness you have in Jesus Christ. So, where is my confidence? This grace is unmerited, it's unearned, it's completely because of Christ. He paid the price, though. It's not cheap. This is not, oh, well, you know, what do I have to do for it? This is because of Jesus and the fact he did complete, he fulfilled the law for us. Your position in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3 and 16 to 23, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The next slide's a bit of an eye chart, so I'm going to focus on the underlying sections. (laughs) The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, Paul's prayer was that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope or the confidence of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of, his, of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, in other words, it does apply to this age as well, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, Jesus, when he completed everything, he sat next to the Father. You and I, by the way, are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus because you're his body. By the way, 
in the Old Testament, if you went to the Holy Holies, there was no seats there. The priests had to stand and minister the gifts, the sacrifices constantly to achieve forgiveness on a daily, weekly, yearly basis for the people's sins. When Jesus finished everything, he sat down. It's done. Now, say that's interesting, Mark. That's great. I've heard a lot of this before. Yeah, but the question is, is, you know, what are you putting in, in practice? Now, let me deal with something that is a natural outcome from a lot of people. Okay, so next slide is, but what's my responsibility, Mark? This sounds like, you know, all this, you know, prosperity gospel stuff and, you know, radical grace. Yes, I believe in radical grace because it takes radical grace to radically change a life. Lukewarm grace affects no one. And my, the greatest thing on my heart is I see the American church, the average Williamson County church attendee this morning is like a hamster on a wheel. And they're going around and around and around and they're stuck in addictions and sins and challenges and they confess and they repent and they confess and they repent and they go round and round and round and round and they never get out of the wheel. Why? They're sin conscious, not righteousness conscious. I could go through this if we had more time. 1 John 1, 9 is speaking to Jewish unbelievers, not believers. 1 John 1, 7 is for the believers. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and he cleanses you continuously from all sin. 1 John 1, 8 then says, you know, so if we say we have no sin, you know, what's going on? Well, guess what? The guy who's a Christian obviously believed he already had sin. So he's talking then to Jewish unbelievers when he says, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But that's been preached so much to believers. Got to confess your sins, confess your sins, confess your sins. Believe it or not, it's much more difficult when you've really screwed up. You've really screwed up. You've done something and you know it's a sin that immediately in that moment to actually believe I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That takes a lot more faith than me confessing my sins and feeling like I have some cathartic experience that I'm justifying myself because I'll weep and I'll wail and I'll repent and I'll say never again. And guess what? A week later, it's the same thing. So in the end, what I ask you is, what do you truly believe? And how does that affect that number that you said you are? So my responsibility, look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. A lot of people will say this. Oh, wait a minute, Mark. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not always in my presence only, but now much more in absence, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds a lot like my responsibility. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, if you actually look it up, and again, you guys know this, those of you who have been believers for a while, there's a lot in the Greek and the Hebrew that don't exactly translate well into the U.S. or, or English language. The word work in verse 12 is a, is a completely different word than the word work in verse 13. In verse 12, the Greek word is katergazomai, and it really means to work out like a math problem. So let's go simple, because that's easier. Two plus two is four. We're in kindergarten. Great. You're working out that math problem. Your teacher says, okay, Mark, go to the board, do the math problem. Did I add anything to the math equation? Did I create any new numbers? Did I all of a sudden said, well, 2 plus 2 with a, with a square root of, and, you know, and some calculus and geometrical, and whatever, you know, some physics, some stats? No. 2 plus 2 is 4. It's working out 
It's gaining an understanding of. That's where grace and peace can be multiplied and why Paul so emphasized that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to see what he's done for you. That's the challenge. Because in American gospel, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, but. Yeah, all that salvation stuff is great for my historical sins, but going forward, I got to do this and I got to do that. And if I do this, then I'll get this. It's a behavior-based understanding of blessing, which is completely wrong. That's why Galatians is focused on don't pervert the purity of the gospel. Whether it was circumcision with the Jews or it's your works-based orientation as American believers saying, hey, by gosh, I'll pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'll make it happen. I'll be a better person tomorrow. Right? I'll get over my addictions. Right believing creates right living. It's not my right living interprets my theology. So, go to slide, next slide, 13 says, well, God who is at work, that Greek word is energeo, and that's, that's work. That's active, that's the creation of something. Active, present tense, continuously energizing me. It refers to an active, efficient, effectual, fervent work, constantly in us. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works, same Greek word, energeo, within us. So, if you look at Philippians 2, 12, and 13, this is from Kenneth Wiest. This is the literal Greek translation. Wherefore, my beloved ones, as you have always obeyed, not as my, in my presence only, but much more in my absence, carry to its ultimate conclusion your own salvation with fear or awe and trembling, enthusiasm, excitement. For God is the one who is constantly putting forth his power in you, both in the form of the constant activity of your being desirous of and the constant activity of your putting into operation his good pleasure. That is what it means. So, we're landing the plane here, guys. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate, not that we are sufficient, competent, or able in ourselves to, to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy, sufficiency, competency, ability is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter of the, but of, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. You know, John 1.17 says, For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It's interesting that truth comes along with grace, not the law. So, what does this mean for us? What I ask you to think about is the confession of your righteousness. Now, Romans 10, 9, and 10, for those of you who have been believers for a while, is part of the Romans road. And you probably heard it quoted many, many, many times about salvation. Absolutely right. But what does God ask us as believers to confess? And what I would tell you, he's asking us to also to confess his righteousness. I hear a lot of people confessing my sins. I'm unworthy. I'm this, I'm that. No, you're not. You are worthy. Because he paid for you to be worthy. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It changes everything about you. 
Because death and life are in the power of the tongue, as Proverbs 18.21 says. So God is asking you to actively confess your righteousness every day. That will change you. It changed me. So, natural versus the supernatural. By the way, these natural, the natural lists here on your left are all true. It's not saying that this is true and false. It's saying rather, what, what, what is, you know, what do most people believe? Well, let's see. Okay, you reap what you sow. Absolutely, yes. Meritocracy, law of consequences, behavior creates blessing. A lot of people believe that. You know, self-focused, fear-based motivation, confidence in yourself. This is like America, you know, pull yourself up bootstraps, make it happen, chief. Guess what? All those things are truisms. Okay? But if you are a son or daughter of the Most High, you have the supernatural on top of that which is grace, undeserved favor, blessing based on relationship, inheritance with positional authority, promise-based wisdom, blessing that creates behavior. Shalom peace envelops all. It depends on God's character and his covenant blessing on and with us. Holy Spirit-generated anointing. What do you do with this? These are gifts. I've just listed a few. And I believe God gives to every person, because he made man in his image, gifts. You know, whether you like or don't like his music, Michael Jackson was gifted in music. Right? So it's not based on your, necessarily the fact that you know Jesus. God has given to people gifts. So if you look at these gifts, some people are smarter than others, intellectually, Music, numbers, math, logic, debate, courage, mechanical aptitude, counsel, wisdom, insight, people skills, leadership, persuasion. You could probably add another 10 or 20 of these, right? It's not intended to be a comprehensive list. The question is the following, though. So if you're seeking God's blessing on your life, what do you do? And this is my testimony. Find your God-given gifts. What are the things that God has blessed you with? Develop them via personal sacrifice and hard work. Absolutely. You know, if a guy came to me and said, by the way, I prayed last night for God to make me a doctor. I'm going to medical school. Uh, I got my scalpel here. Uh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> Sorry, chief. You know, not going to happen. God asks us, he, he, he shared in the parable to invest your talent. Matthew 25, 16. He wasn't really pleased with the person who took their talent and stuck it in a coffee can in the backyard. So develop your talent. Invest in yourself. Find that talent. And what, what is the gifting? What's the bent that he's put in you? Find what that is. Seek godly counsel and wisdom. Make sure there's a need, by the way, for what you're offering. Oh, I love to do this, but nobody needs to buy it. So there needs to be a reason that why someone would want to occupy, you know, your services. Ask God, though, for divine appointments and favor. Follow the voice of the Lord with wisdom and courage, and then have confidence because you know who you are in Christ. I did some back years ago. I don't do it anymore, but I used to go to business schools, and um, I would interview people for analysts um, for us. And so I'd be at the University of Chicago or Harvard or Stanford or whatever. And... Um, these kids would all come in, all brilliant. You've got the Harvard Business School or Stanford, you probably know what you're talking about. Probably decent academically, that's all fine. And they all walk in, it'll be about 120 kids or so. 
and I saw, I call them kids, right? They're 22 to 28 years old-ish. But there would always be two or three. And I could tell just by looking at them, there's something different. Now, some of them walked in with an entitlement mentality. I'm from Harvard, right? Some of them walked in with, you know, a lot of humility. Um, that was rare. But in the end, finding people that had the balance of humility, of being really, really good at something in life, but having the humility to understand that is a blessing from God, and then on top of that, having the ability to apply confidence of knowing who you are in Jesus Christ, that, my friends, is a winning formula. So, this is what it kind of looks like. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Identify your talent, invest to become truly skilled in it, and then apply God's confidence and his blessing on you. I have four bullet point summaries. The church at large commingles the grace of God and the grace of salvation with a works orientation to receive God's blessing based on behavior. That's what most people do. The active daily confession of Jesus' righteousness as yours will revolutionize who you are. That takes more faith. The unconditional acceptance creates confidence for you to embrace life from a place of strength. Right believing, like I said, creates right living. Come on up, guys. So find God's talent, his gift on your life, and execute it through your confidence in Christ. You know, in Bible times, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's really interesting to play on words here is that you had different parts of society back in Bible times. And, for example, the Jews very much were spiritual, right? They sought for light. You know, some of it mystic, but show me light. I want to understand God, right? The Greeks were all about knowledge, right? I want to understand things, about logic. I want to debate. And then you had the Romans who were about conquering. They were about glory. Look what I've done. Look at my territory, right? So in this one verse, Paul captures all of it. That for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have all of it. So I'd ask you this. Let's go back to the beginning of the service. When I said, what number are you at? And when you opened your eyes, and what I want to challenge you with is you are a 10. You are a 10. You are a 10 not because you're the smartest person in the class, not because you're the best athlete on the team, not because you're the most successful business person, not because you're the greatest engineer. You're a 10 because Jesus Christ calls you in his kingdom a 10. So, how do you walk that out? Walk it out with confidence of who you are in Jesus. So, Guys, if you don't mind, play one more song. Um, I'd ask you to stand, please. If you guys don't mind, um, would you play Heaven is Here Now?
So what I'd like you to do is always just, you'd stay where you're at. There's not a, you know, come to the front thing. But I'd like you to truly do business with the Lord. And honestly look to Him. And the question I have for you, what number do you believe you are? What number does Jesus believe you are? And how do you bridge that? How do you come to truly accept the fact you are the righteousness of God in Christ? You are exactly equipped to accomplish what He has designed for you to accomplish. And so as they sing, you know, please do business with the Lord yourself. But know you are a 10. It doesn't get me higher.